Hi everyone, good to see you all. Joining in online, love to see you as well. So, we're in the room, lovely to see you. Um, and we're doing the next part of the Daniel series, so great. Have you ever looked at your old video footage, okay? Now, I'm from the generation prior to where you could take footage with your mobile phone. So, like 20 years ago, I bought this camcorder with an eight, high eight millimeter tape, okay? For you youngsters, you probably don't get it. You know, research it at some stage of life. But what I found was, with these tapes, my camcorder doesn't work anymore, and I needed, for ages, I've been wanting to get the footage digitized, okay? Because my camcorder had broken, and that was it. So, sent all these tapes off, it was like nine or 10 tapes, I thought there's probably two or three of them with a bit of footage on. Well, it turns out that like eight or nine of them had footage on. So I got like 15 hours of footage of the children when they were small, and all this kind of stuff. And it's been brilliant. So it's full of like birthdays, Christmases, holidays, family gatherings, baby dedications, baptisms. Absolutely brilliant memories. Seeing people from, from years ago and how young we looked. And I was like, all the clothes I was wearing were huge. Why didn't anyone tell me? As a, you know, it, was like, it just looked like material with hands and legs and a face sticking out of it. It was shocking. And why didn't anyone give me some, you know, some advice when I was a young man? <laughs> anyway, you know, so... You know, we, all, we capture these important parts in life. Don't we? For everyone who's got like a mobile phone, it's just there now. You pull your phone out, you can film things. But back in the day, you had to be a bit more organized than that, all right? Now, I've even got footage, right, of a 10-year-old Matthew Richards scoring a hat-trick. Here's a picture. <laughs> this is a 10-year-old Matthew. Now, if you're confused, he's wearing a Manchester United top. He's a Swansea supporter. He likes Manu. Goalies don't normally score hat-tricks as because he's got goalie gloves on, but it was rush goalie in fairness to him. And he went one better than Cristiano Ronaldo and he scored two on his Man United return yesterday. Matthew scored three, so I think that deserves a round of applause. And this was back in the day where it was better value to go to the butchers for a haircut than the hairdressers. So, uh, Math, great memories, okay, and the skills. You, see, you haven't lost those skills, Math. Now, the overarching theme that struck me with all this footage and everything else was like the commitment to be there, to be involved, to loving family, to loving friends, to loving the church, in all of life's rich tapestry. And if we could all turn the clock back and review the memories that we had, I'm sure there'd be loads of ups and downs. But the good thing is, is when we find direction and purpose in our lives, and we can tell a story where we walk that journey with God, with his people, and the decisions in our life, we've, you know, we made them purposeful decisions. We've taken direction from God. And Daniel, in this part of the series, we can see that he was very purposeful in his calling before God. And of course, for Daniel, he had to work in the limits and the boundaries that he was put into. He didn't choose to be taken captive and exiled to Babylon, but this is where he found himself. And here we see and read that Daniel stood as a young man in the presence of God in the surroundings which didn't really honor God and he decided at this age and probably younger as well that he wanted to find his purpose in God, to serve God and to honor God in his life. So Sean gave an overview last week of the series and um, it's a time in history where Israel turned from God. Again, you know, there's a whole history, as we read in the Old Testament, Israel would be in love with God and serving God and honoring God, and often they would turn away from God, and they would pursue idolatry, and 
we find that, you know, they were in sin. Well, sin basically is rebellion against God. It's a very easy thing to remember, is we decide not to pursue God or have God involved in our lives, but we pursue our own agendas, our own life, and we turn from God. That is like a common thing in humanity. But we know that God is love. And Rachel touched on the kid's spot just now. And something had to happen to turn the heart of Israel back to God. We read that the northern kingdoms and then the south and Judah, it was the tribe that Daniel belonged to, they were all like taken over by King Nebuchadnezzar, that they were taken and beaten in combat. And we read that uh, Jerusalem was uh, besieged by Nebuchadnezzar. And we read that people were taken away from their homeland and brought into Babylon. And um, Nebuchadnezzar was someone who, he was a king, he was an accomplished king, the greatest of the Babylonian kings, that's his kind of reputation. He was ruthless, he expanded his empire, he crushed opposing forces, he conquered, and he regarded himself as deity, he was a very proud king. And as we unpack the story of Daniel, the book of Daniel, we find Nebuchadnezzar's journey, the, the, the positives and also the negatives as well. So, Daniel is exiled and taken captive in Babylon. But Daniel was full of potential. He was open to God, respected by his peers, even at this young age. We read that he was fit, healthy, and studious, but the main attribute to Daniel is his character, living right before God. And that is a great encouragement. As we consider ourselves, we may consider ourselves fit, healthy, studious, or whatever, or none of those things. But the main thing which we can all do in our lives is have a godly character. And we're on that journey of life in building a godly character. And Daniel can help us as we get to grips with this for ourselves. And we read that Daniel was handpicked from Judah to be trained and to serve the king. So we're going to take up the story in chapter one, I'm going to read it through, and then we're just going to pull out a few highlights, and that will be that for this morning, all right? So here we go. Daniel chapter one. During the third year of King Jehoiakim's reign in Judah, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came to Jerusalem and besieged it. The Lord gave him victory over King Jehoiakim of Judah and permitted him to take some of the sacred objects from the temple of God. So Nebuchadnezzar took them back to the land of Babylonia and placed them in the treasure house of his God. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, his chief of staff, to bring to the palace some of the young men of Judah's royal family and other noble families who had been brought to Babylon as captives. Select only strong, healthy, and good-looking young men, he said. Make sure they're all well-versed in every branch of learning, are gifted with knowledge and good judgment, and are suited to serve in the royal palace. Train these young men in the language and literature of Babylon. The king assigned them a daily ration of food and wine from his own kitchens. They were to be trained for three years, and then they would enter the royal service. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah were four of the young men chosen, all from the tribe of Judah. The chief of staff renamed them with these Babylonian names. Daniel was called Belshazzar, Hananiah was called Shadrach, Mishael was called Meshach, 
and Azariah was called Abednego. But Daniel was determined not to defile himself by eating the food and wine given to them by the king. He asked the chief of staff for permission not to eat these unacceptable foods. Now God had given the chief of staff both respect and affection for Daniel. But he responded, I am afraid of my lord the king who has ordered that you eat this food and wine. If you become pale and thin compared to the use of your age, I'm afraid the king will have me beheaded. Now Daniel spoke with the attendant who had been appointed by the chief of staff to look after Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Please test us for 10 days on a diet of vegetables and water, Daniel said. At the end of the 10 days, see how we look compared to the other young men who are eating the king's food. Then make your decision in light of what you see. The attendant agreed to Daniel's suggestion and tested them for 10 days. At the end of the 10 days, Daniel and his three friends looked healthier and better nourished than the young men who had been eating the food assigned by the king. So after that, the attendant fed them only vegetables instead of the food and wine provided for the others. God gave these four young men an unusual aptitude for understanding every aspect of literature and wisdom and God gave Daniel the special ability to interpret the meanings of visions and dreams. When the training period ordered by the king was completed, the chief of staff brought all the young men to King Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and no one impressed him as much as Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the royal service. Whenever the king consulted them in any matter requiring wisdom and balanced judgment, he found them 10 times better, more capable than any of the magicians and enchanters in his entire kingdom. Daniel remained in the royal service until the first year of the reign of King Cyrus. So that's the story in chapter one. Then very early on into Daniel's exile to a foreign land and foreign culture is opportunity is opportunity. When you bring this into God's lens, there was a story and a plan for Daniel to make a huge difference in this place. And he was gonna spend the next amount of his life in the palace. And for us here today, there may be somewhere God is calling each of us to be the difference, to have the opportunity to serve God. It may be the office, the classroom, the shop, the home, the gym, the factory, wherever it may be, there's a call that God has upon each of our lives to be serving him. Now it shows here that Daniel encounters pressures straight away. He's renamed with a Babylonian name to rob him of his like identity from, from his Israel and from his roots. And he's given a new like Babylonian name which is you know, counted or was against what he stood for and who he was. And he, they were trying to suck him into a culture that didn't honor God. But Daniel stood his ground and he very early on stood and made a difference and wanted to honor God in his decisions and in his life, even though the surroundings were kind of against what he would have expected. And by doing this, he paved the way for the future. Let's have a look at verse 8 here. <clears throat> but Daniel was determined not to defile himself by eating the food and wine given to them by the king. He asked the chief of staff for permission not to eat these unacceptable foods. So Daniel is young, separate from his family, 
Judah as a whole had turned from God. So there's all this stress and turmoil that uh, they would have been in. Yet Daniel wanted to honor God with his life. Now, from a Babylonian perspective, he ticked the boxes, fit, handsome, intellectual, talented, knowledgeable. But most importantly was his making the decisions in his life to honor God. And this isn't something the Babylonians would have understood or recognized at first. But Daniel, he knew. He knew God was at work, and in honoring God was his first priority. Now, he didn't want to defile himself by eating the food that the king wanted them to eat, the food and wine ration set aside for them. Because, you know, there would have been all kinds of, you know, Sean touched on it last week, that there probably would have been food sacrificed to, to idols and false gods. There might have been like really rich food, which would have, you know, been against um, what Daniel and his friends were used to. Whatever the reason may be, we can see that Daniel was very brave and courageous in standing his ground here. So in other words, Daniel had already developed a God-honoring life, even at this young, tender age. So no matter where we are at in our lives, in our story and journey of faith, whether we're new to Christianity or whether we've walked with God for many years, there's always this chance and opportunity to develop a God-honoring life. And it is important to do that. So Daniel didn't want to become impure by following the Babylonian culture. So he didn't have this, well, well, it doesn't matter, you know, what I do kind of thing, and, you know, have a real kind of attitude like that. He really did want to honor his relationship with God. He was serious and intentional about his lifestyle decisions. So this is a challenge for Daniel because it takes courage to stand his ground. And for us, it's an age-old challenge for all humans. His predicament is an Old Testament example for all of us living in a New Testament era where we live under the grace and forgiveness of Jesus, whereas Daniel here was living according to the law and wanting to honor God through living in, in, in that and in those um, boundaries and in th those wise things. But for us here, again, for us, we have our own culture that we live in, and we're part of a world that in the majority is perhaps turned from God and doesn't understand the grace and the love of God. So our challenge in life is to understand and know the call of Christ within our lives. So when the world around us and the culture around us is opposed to Christ, we can live in the world but are careful not to allow the world's values and culture to really impact the direction of our lives. So like Daniel, we can make a stand to be strong and understand, you know, Jesus' call in our lives. And this is important, that we can align our lives to Christ. That every day we make a stand, we read throughout the New Testament, you know, about taking up our cross daily and, you know, pursuing God, the Lord's prayer, a daily kind of routine where we, every day we give ourselves again to Jesus so that we're remembering and reminding ourselves, you know, our purpose and, and stuff in life. So we align ourselves to the call of Christ in our lives. We read in John 14, and we're encouraged that if we, if Jesus says, if you love me, obey my commandments. So there's this link with loving Jesus and kind of obeying his wisdom in our lives. And in John, in 1 John 5, 3, he says this, for this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not 
burdensome. So that kind of takes the, the relief. It gives us a bit of relief that when we pursue Jesus, pursue a godly lifestyle, it isn't meant to be a burdensome thing. Following Jesus is meant to be a life-giving, freedom-giving opportunity to enjoy life more and more and more. So part of that is like aligning our hearts to God. Now, going back many years ago, and I was I'm talking about this every now and again, going back to my old engineering days, and as an apprentice toolmaker, we had the opportunity, the, 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 the chance to get trained up. And a lot of the time in those first three years of my engineering um, apprenticeship, we had to either manufacture or maintain press tools. Okay? So press tooling in, in factories and in industry, they wall about thousands and thousands of components each day to, you know, to be made up and assembled and to go into various products. So the line of my work was in the automotive industry, so stamping out millions and millions of parts which were in engine cooling systems, radiators, stuff like that. But as a tool maker, it was your responsibility to, to maintain the tooling so that in production, the components were always stamped out clean, fresh, straight, no burrs, no damage, this kind of thing. So alignment was very important. So what we got here are various components. You've got that big base plate, the bolster at the bottom there, and in that middle section there, is the punch and the die. Now, a punch would go into the die and chop out the components thousands of times a day, okay? So, as you can imagine, eventually that gets blunt and damaged and things start to go wrong. So, you have to maintain these things regularly. So, when this component all gets taken apart and you sharpen the punch and you sharpen the die for its next production run, it has to be critical that those, those components there are straight with one another. They go on exactly the same line every time. So there was something called a dowel. Now a dowel would position the bolster to the die plate spot on every time. There was no room for uh, maneuvering because it would always give it the correct alignment. So when you pull everything apart, when you put it back together again, it always goes bosh, straight into the right place, and that would always give you the highest productivity, no chance of the tooling breaking down, etc., etc., etc. And that doesn't allow any rough edges on the components. Now, when we come to aligning our lives with Jesus, that is a very effective thing to do with our lives. We're kind of aligning ourselves with his plans and his purposes in our life. So God loves to work on us, to smooth the edges, because we all know real life, isn't it? You know, it can be a challenge at times, and we do things wrong, and we make mistakes, and all the rest of it. But let's not get discouraged, because God works on the rough edges. He works on the rough edges, and in our relationship with God, we can make the most of that. It says in Isaiah 64, 8, and yet, O Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay, and you are the potter. We are all formed by your hand. And what I love about this verse is how it reminds us that we have a loving Father. So there's the relational part of God that wants to help us in our lives. And it talks about here about shaping, that we are the clay and God is the potter. So he does want to shape us and help us and nurture us and help us in those little difficult things, those little areas of life where we may find a struggle. And this gives us an understanding that our lives can be shaped by God. So when we're shaping, we can understand, you know, we're not necessarily the perfect 
person we can ever possibly right now, but we know that we're on a journey with God who is shaping us and helping us. So part of this process is our availability to God. So when we decide, yes, God, I want you to shape my life, that can be quite a courageous step. It can be a disciplined step as well when we're allowing God to shape our lives. It takes some kind of effort and decision by ourselves to allow God to shape us. So let's be encouraged by that as well. And I'm sure Daniel would have gone through this process already at a young age. Now, what equivalence do we stand for in our lives? What are the stands that we've had to make in our lives, in our journey of faith? For each of us, I would be 100% positive that somewhere along the line in life, we've really had to stand our ground when the world and the pressures of life around us have been trying to push us into a particular section. Now, when I had my leave-in card, um, when I left Calsonic about 10 years ago, and there was you know, loads of messages and stuff like that, one of, one of my mates, I've been mates for years and years and years, we used to play football together in school and we ended up doing apprenticeship together and then we would study together and work together on this, virtually the same desk. For summer, we, all that time, we worked together and you know, now and again we'd have chats and conversations, but he's a bit of a lad, okay? But the message on the card s- said this. He said, Adam, we worked together for many years and for many years, I've tried to get you onto the dark side but you never did, and for that I commend you, my friend. <laughs> All the best for the future. And that was funny, but he's quite right, because the way he lived his life, you know, there's sometimes there's those pressures in life where your peers want you to join in. So I just want to talk about a little bit about each of us have to make a stand in life. And for me, as a young person, as a young man, age 16, 17, this kind of thing, for me, a lot of pressure was on binge drinking alcohol because I played for a football team where I played with you know, senior level men and the culture was to go and play football. You know, they were smoking half time, even having a, having a drink of alcohol. But then afterwards, they would be going out drinking, drinking, drinking. So that was like the culture. And then I went into engineering and the students and the apprentices there, you know, they, it was always like, you know, party time, going out drinking, drinking, drinking. So I'm in this culture where, you know, it's binging and getting drunk all over the shop, you know, just people out of control. And I had to make this decision, you know, no, that's not gonna be for me. I really wanna honor God in my life. Now I understood from what I knew with the Bible being a young Christian that it is okay to drink alcohol, but not to get drunk, so don't overdo it. You know, you, you re- obviously the, the communal wine, the um, Jesus changing water into wine, Paul advising Timothy to take wine. So I understood like in my limited theology that yes, okay, so it is okay. But then I was reading scripture about, you know, not getting drunk, not being out of control, you know, having self-control in life and this kind of thing. So for me, it's just getting my Christian perspective right and then honoring God in that. So, you know, that was my stand. That's something I had to deal with as a young man, although it would be much easier just to go with the crowd, go with the flow. But what I found when you can make, or when we can make a stand in certain areas of our lives, it builds character and it builds integrity within us and it gives us the strength when the more serious challenges come on later in life that again, oh yeah, I remember how to take a stand in God here and we don't get intimidated by the world's pressure so that we choose godly wisdom in making those decisions, okay? So for me, I saw the mess that some of my friends' lives got into because of the things they got up to whilst being drunk, okay? So, you know, I made that decision then and then, no, this isn't gonna be for me, I'm gonna be, you know, sensible with that. 
Okay, and there can be many other things, you know, that could be decisions we make about our diet, about our um, relationships, you know, having right relationships, one with another, friendships, in our decisions for our, you know, lifetime partners, if, if that's what we choose, and, and marriage, and all this kind of thing, is doing those things right before God, taking the Bible's advice, God's word, God's insight into the wisdom of the Bible. So like Daniel, then we can make a stand and not want to dishonor God, but we can to follow his example and be measured in our lifestyle decisions. And when the pressure is on and we're in unfamiliar circumstances or perhaps feeling vulnerable, let's know from Daniel's experience here that we can have confidence in choosing God's way. Okay, so the next little bit to look at is we can be assured that God is often at work behind the scenes doing things we might not expect. Verse nine, now God had given the chief of staff both respect and affection for Daniel. Now this verse strikes us that God is at work in the heart of people, even the Babylonian chief of staff. And in this person's humanity, they respected Daniel and had affection for him. Maybe he reminded him of a son or a brother or you know, someone close that he may have known. Maybe he was impressed by his character at such a young age. Maybe he was drawn to his personality and how he carried himself. Or maybe he felt for him because of his situation, a stranger in a strange land. But there were qualities within Daniel that enhanced the relationship with the chief of staff. So God is at work in the hearts of men and women, boys and girls. Whatever it was, Daniel found favor. And nothing can take away from godly character. Even when the tables are turned for a season, godly character lasts. So like a lighthouse that stands secure, like in the darkness that sends out a warning beacon to those who may be in trouble, we can know as we invest in godly character, it isn't just for our own benefit and the fruit of our lives and enjoying you know, God's love in our lives, but it's also a strength. There's a reason for it, and that is to give other people the opportunity to see the love of God, to show that, yes, we can stand our ground even in turmoil, even in, you know, stormy weather, in dangerous conditions, we can help people find the safety of God. And in our day-to-day -day relationships, we can also pray that God would grant favor even in the most bizarre or challenging of circumstances. We can pray for favor upon the hearts of people and even those who don't acknowledge God yet. May godly character shine through and be the difference in those circumstances. So maybe there's someone in our classroom, a teacher, a work colleague, a boss, a manager, someone who is maybe even given us trouble in life Let's not get sidetracked or discouraged in that, but let's pray for those people that God's hand would work in their hearts, that something would be revealed to them in their life's experience that only God would be able to know or, or work upon. So we have like faith that God can make a difference. So the chief of staff, his attendant, Nebuchadnezzar, each of these guys had a relationship with Daniel and Daniel's godly character made the difference. He had wisdom and integrity. Now, godly character and integrity go hand in hand. And I kind of learned this lesson 
at a fairly youngish age about integrity. And let me tell you this little story. It's a historical one, but it, it impacted me and it has helped in the journey of life. Okay, so integrity. So me and a few other 16-year-olds are going for an interview in this engineering job that I was talking about earlier on. And uh, I was like a nervous teenager, shaking inside. You know what it's like if anyone's been on an interview or doing something that's a little bit nervy. So there's this room full of five professional people, section managers, human resources, and it was unbelievably intimidating. So just put yourself in that situation, sitting down as a youngster in front of these people who, you know when people you feel carry a weight of authority and you think, oh gosh, you know, these are making me nervous, like, you know. So anyway, this was the situation. Now, already done an aptitude test a few weeks before and called for an interview. So that gave a little bit of confidence. Okay, so I must have done all right in the tests to be called back for this interview. So there was that little like underlying, all right, let's just do our best that we can here. So I'd never been in a situation like it, but the questions were fair. The people took an interest and they made me feel okay. But there was this one particular person, either just didn't like me or you know, was just in general a dry, intimidating, overbearing personality. I remember sitting back with his arms on his stomach, looking at me like with disdain. And um, he just asked a really few awkward questions, you know, about why I wanted the job and all this. And he said, well, you've got these GCSE results, really, you should be going off and doing your A-levels and going to university and this kind of thing. And really fobbing me off and saying, well, you know, you, you, your football, you're good at that, you've had trials and all this kind of stuff, why don't you just go and concentrate on your football? So he's really trying to push me away from, you know, wanting to train myself and, and, you know, get a job and get trained up and to, you know, experience learning new skills. So anyway, you know when someone takes your confidence away, and this was the kind of feeling. So I replied then, which was hopefully a wise and balanced reason for my decision to pursue an engineering career, to get trained up, to learn skills on hand in real life, to be out in the real world, et cetera, et cetera, and get trained up along the way. So, you know, those are my reasons for going for the job. Anyway, got the job, but not in his department, thankfully. Okay, <laughs> so the first year of college started, the first year of my apprenticeship, doing okay, you know, getting on with it, honoring things, getting there on time, doing my homework, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So it was okay, we'd regularly have reviews by different managers come in, it was all going good, and then this guy came to check up on my, uh, my you know, how I was getting on and stuff. And he started leaning to me, but not, you know, doing well enough, and should be doing better than this, and, you know, you're not working hard enough. So I went out there thinking, oh gosh, what was that all about? Uh, that's a bit, of, you know, a bit discouraging, you know, when you get that kind of feedback. Anyway, got on with it, passed the apprenticeship with six months to spare, and managed to get a position in, a, in this engineering job. So, coming to the end of this illustration now. So what we happened is in this engineering job, we would choose suppliers to come in to do work for us. But it was very important to have integrity, so we had to get three quotes on any particular job, because obviously we were spending a lot of money. So we would have to then weigh up, you know, each different supplier's quotation, what we were getting for our money, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And one rule that we had to work by in, in this job was we were not allowed to take any gifts from suppliers, all right? Because that would be seen as, you know, oh, you're taking a bit of a, you know, here's a little something behind the scenes. So that was the rule, all right? But I knew that some blokes were, you know, having a little gift, you know. So it came to this stage, it was one Christmas time, one of the suppliers came in, one of the boys came, ah, oh, damn, so-and-so's outside, he's got something in the back of the car for you. <laughs> I was like, oh, look, I know we're not allowed to do that, so thanks for the offer, like, but no. So turn that down, that was fine. You know, just playing it by the rules. Well, a little while later, this engineering manager got sacked. 
he got sacked for someone, one of the building supplier contractors who had this massive, you know, hundreds of thousands of pounds of the contract in Carlsonic. They ended up, they had the builders come to their property basically at home to do work for them. So we don't know exactly what went on behind the scenes, but this person did get sacked for that. And it taught me a little bit about integrity, about making right decisions, no matter what kind of level we're working at in life or wherever we're at, is those little fine details can make a big difference, is trying to honor God in our lives. I know that we, cannot, we don't always make 100% the right decision every step of the way, but you know when something like this happens in life and it gives you kind of an idea of, well, this is how we should be done, and this is how we shouldn't be done, and these are the consequences of doing the right thing, and these are the consequences of doing the wrong thing. You know, they can be big, so this person, you know, their reputation was, you know, really damaged by that. And of course, everyone moves on and gets on with their lives then, but let's learn, we can learn these lessons about integrity and having wisdom. Also, learning to respect and how to negotiate life with people in every job, no matter what, I found that how we deal and relate to people is the key factor to all of it. So whatever we're doing in our lives, whether, you know, like a paid job or something of service on a voluntary basis or care or whatever it may be, how we relate with people is like it crosses over all aspects of life in our communication, in our attitudes, in how we treat one another. So Daniel showed respect to the chief of staff and the attendant and we read that the chief of staff had respect and affection for Daniel. Now, I'm assuming there would have been a, a great difference in age and this kind of stuff, but across the generations, young and old, is this you know, thing about having respect for one another. So as a youngster, when we look to our elders and those older people around us, you know, who, wherever we're at, is to you know, respect and appreciate people's walk in life and to know that. And similarly, if we're older people and we're investing and, and we've got friendships with those younger th than us, is to encourage along the way, to breathe you know, life and enjoy you know, people, young people's journeys in their life. There's opportunity and training and all the rest of it. And just helping youngsters you know, get through and you know, be trained up. This morning as we were praying together here as, as a group, you know, the worship guys and everyone on the tech team and other people serving here then everywhere. And just seeing these great young people serving a heart out for God, being here, blessing others, it's such an encouraging thing. So if we can walk our lives, you know, honoring those older than us, blessing those younger than us, I think that is a great circle of life, isn't it? Especially as a church family as well. Okay. So just moving on then to the last little bit before I close is the final thought on Daniel is this, is to be confident in finding a solution to the problem. In verse 12 it says this, please test us for 10 days on a diet of vegetables and water, Daniel said, and at the end of the 10 days, see how we look compared to the other young men who are eating the king's food. Then make your decision in light of what you see. So here we see wisdom at work, a healthy vegetable diet for 10 days, making a physical difference, but I, you know, there's more to it than that. Daniel thought it through and made the suggestion as if to say, you know, that, well, there's no harm in trying this out. You know, let's test it, let's see results. And he provided a solution to the problem. So this combined like a physical and a spiritual 
kind of test, really, because he wanted to stand his ground, even with those pressures around him, of, you know, just eating this diet. And let's try it out for 10 days. So what I want to say here is, in our lives, we can also be problem solvers when we have godly, you know, wisdom in that. We pursue God. We can test things out. We can do things which can provide a benefit for us later on. So, for example, we may want to do a healthy diet for 10 days like Daniel here, and it wasn't only just a, a health option for him. The, the deeper issue was this was a spiritual stand, okay? And we see the positive results from that. But also, for each of us as well, you know, we, it's important for us to pursue godly wisdom before we drop perhaps a problem onto someone else. I remember one of our managers would also, he'd always say this, don't come with me and give me a monkey to land on my back and then I'm carrying around all these monkeys, all these problems. <laughs> you know, he said, come to me with solutions of opportunities and ways where we can, you know, do this together. I know I'm happy to give you, you know, advice on it or whatever, but come with solutions and not problems. And what that does, it helps us as people in our own walk before God that we're actually prayerful about our decisions and, you know, the choices that come along. And it builds within us like a, a spiritual dimension to our, to our lives before God that we, we're asking God first to help us and that we're recognizing his, you know, love for our lives and, and the decisions that we make. You know, we may be, well, let's pray for something for like five, seven, ten days over a particular thing. Let's read what scripture has to say about a particular problem or something that I have to make a decision on. So we can form good habits for ourselves physical and spiritual. And this carries across, not just for our eating habits, but for all our responsibilities in life. Maybe there's something in our parenting that you know, we're looking to God's wisdom for. Maybe there's something in our marriage. You know, there's great you know, methods and rhythms that we can get into in our marriages, doing, you know, making good habits. As a church, we've often done like, like marriage preparation course and things like this. One good thing is like having a date night. And you know when you've been married for years and years and years and you, you kind of lose track of where you're at and you're busy and all the rest of it. If we can remind ourselves that yes, you know, keeping our marriages fresh and young and, and, and lively and all this kind of thing, it's important to continue to have those date nights to remember, you know, yes, we do love one another and we are living life together. So you know, we're forming good habits and rhythms in our life, just a bit like Daniel there, in our parenting, in our marriage, in our friendships, in our spiritual walk, in our commitment to, to our church family and all the rest, in our jobs, you know, whether it's like getting up early and preparing ourselves and, you know, all this kind of thing, we can really do and work out good rhythms and good practices in our lives. Okay, so just to close, let's remember that we can commit to doing the right thing in the sight of God. And even when it's not the easiest option, that we commit to doing the right thing before God. So that's kind of like the first chapter in Daniel. And it is really, you know, the stand of making the right decision, even when the pressures of the world are around him. And similarly for us today, everyone, like Daniel was in Babylonia and he's, uh, you know, had the pressures of what was going on there, you know, the idolatry and, you know, all the stuff that was going on. But, you know, his, his inner man couldn't be affected by those outer circumstances. So if we can take one thing away today to be encouraged and strengthened is to 
know God loves our inner person, our inner man. We're spiritual people. And that God is at work in those areas of our lives, shaping us and helping us. So the outer, periphery things, the pressures of the world, you know, they can be put right when we're pursuing God for ourselves individually. So let's close our eyes and I'll pray in closing, okay? Yes, so we thank you today that we can learn a lot from how Daniel lived his life, Lord, even in the situation of exile and in the situation of being in the palace and the pressures upon him, that he was one, even at a young age, to have show courage and determination in living in your ways, Lord. And for us today, with the different things going on in the cultures around us, and the nations around us, where there is pressure and strife and disappointment, discouragement, where there's no trust, where there's pressures and injustices. We want to pray, Lord, that we would know the internal whisper of God in our lives, your loving grace, Lord, that we can know that we're in a, in a place, Lord, that is full of grace and compassion in you, that right now, Holy Spirit, where there's challenges and struggles for us as individuals, that we can stand our ground, that we can know the love of Jesus in our lives. And that love isn't just words, but it is the practicalities, the reality of life, that in our words, in our actions, in our attitudes, in all these different areas and aspects of our lives, we can honor you first, Lord as we're called to honor you and to love one another as like the key critical components of honoring you in our lives, Lord. I pray that you'd help us this morning, that we'd go away from here, not struggling in weakness, but knowing the strength that you bring to us, Lord, as our hearts are open to you, and as we make godly, wise, righteous decisions in our lifestyles, Lord. I pray that you give us the courage of Daniel in our walk. I pray that you give us the courage of Daniel in our decisions. I pray that you'd help us, even if we feel intimidated by others or out of our depths in certain situations, that we can know that you are with us for, for doing all those things, Lord, in your name. Amen. Amen.